I am so happy we've taken Waltrip Unfiltered on the road. We're in Franklin, Tennessee, where tomorrow and Thursday, Daryl and I host our 10th annual charity golf events. It's Waltrip Brothers Charity Championship, and I couldn't be prouder to be a part of this uh, initiative. What we do, raising money for motor racing outreach. It's a ministry that caters to the to the NASCAR community, and Daryl's been a part of the a board member of Motor Racing Outreach for 40 years, I bet. So a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. Cheryl Crow singing tomorrow night. But the thing that I'm most excited about is what's gonna sit right there in that chair across from me. DW, three-time cup champion, NASCAR Hall of Famer. We're gonna go back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, hear all of his stories that I can't wait to share them with you. In fact, I got an idea that this is gonna take a while. And it might mean that it's gonna be two weeks, a two-part episode with my big brother. I can't wait to get going. Thank you for joining us. Tell all your friends about Waltrip Unfiltered and have them sign up for us through their favorite podcast app. I would love that. Can't wait for you to check out me and my big brother. Be ready. Green flag, green flag. <laughs> this is so awesome, <laughs> sitting in Franklin, Tennessee with my big brother. And the reason why I think it's awesome because um, we grew up, what, 100 miles north of here in Owensboro, Kentucky? Pretty good, yeah. And you left there and came to Franklin, Tennessee. Not, that's not the path to NASCAR stardom. Most racers uh, uh, go down. Yeah. When you got here, I mean, it's beautiful. Look around, why wouldn't yeah. you love it here? But, but did you ever think you'd spend the last 50 years in Franklin, Tennessee? Well, no, well, I never, yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know what I thought because it was 50 years ago and I just gotten married and uh, Stevie, you know, was, had a wife and trying to figure out what I'm, can I make a, can I make a career? Can I make a living racing cars? So, and so anyway, I, yeah. It was I, 73, right? About? No, we moved here in uh, 70. 70? Yeah, we, we got married in 69 and uh, then left Owensboro and came down here in 70. I was, when I first started coming to Franklin, living in Owensboro, I would drive to Franklin in the morning and work in the shop on the race car and drive back home at night. And we're talking about a three hour drive. We're not talking about interstates. We're talking about two lane highway up uh, to Bowling Green, the whole nine yards. So, yeah. And, and it, after a while, I just couldn't do that anymore. I said, I told Steve, I said, she just isn't gonna work. Well, it, it, this story is so complicated. Stevie was supposed to go to SMU. That's where her grandfather taught school. That's where her dad went to school. And that's where she was in, uh, in, accepted and was gonna go to SMU. And so getting married was not a part of all that plan. So when There we was got, a grander oh, plan. No, it, so, so when we get married, it just screwed up everything. And so she ends up going to Kentucky Wesleyan, which is in Owensboro, you know, and, and her dad uh, he graduated from Harvard. He was the president of Texas Gas, and he insisted that I go to college. I don't want to go to college. Man, I ain't got time for all that. I got, I'm, I'm going to be a Rhodes Scholar. I thought it was ROAD, you know. I'm going to be a Rhodes Scholar. So anyway, I went one semester to Kentucky West, and I said, baby, this ain't working for me. I've got to, I've got to do other things. So PBA would have me come down on the, through the week, and then I'd get to drive the car at the fairgrounds on the weekend. And you know, you got to know PB because he would bring his his fancy rig to the Kentucky Motor Speedway in Whitesville, and you'd be a, a Owensboro boy. And I wrecked him every week. <laughs> Why did you wreck him? No, I couldn't help it. I had that old '58 Ford. It had that 427 tunnel port Holman Moody engine in it, 
a huge, an, an incredible engine in a terrible car. And I didn't know the difference, you know. I, I, I blamed myself. It didn't, didn't handle right. It wasn't the car's fault. You'll love this. So a couple of weeks in a row, I'd wrecked PB. And he had these beautiful cars. Bobby Allison built them for him, or Chevelles, really beautiful cars. And uh, so I was on a, he was on Poe. I was outside Poe at Whitesville. We come off to take the green flag, and I stand in that 427. That thing just turns sideways and shoots right into his right rear. When it does, he goes down the front straightaway and through that gate, into that where gate. Where the hot dog stand was. Yeah, where you come into the track. Oh. And they just wrapped that car around that gate. I said, well, that's it. I'm going to be in big, big trouble. So I win the race. I go on because he was on the car. So I win the race. I get out of the car. I'm standing on the front straightaway with my little trophy and everything. And here he comes, and him and J.W. Carlisle, J.W., big old guy, and they come down. I said, well, fortunately, I got, I got my grandfather here, Lee Phillips, the deputy sheriff. I'll put him between me and them. I'll be okay. <laughs> anyway, P.B. puts his arm around me. Like Dale, you know how Dale always put that big arm in? P.B. put his arm around me and said, let me ask you a question. You got any interest in driving for me? I said, are you kidding me? I just put you through the fence. He said, because maybe if I hire you, you'll quit wrecking me every damn week. <laughs> Boy, as a kid, I remember those beautiful orange and white oh. Chevelles coming to Whitesville. And just, that's how, you know, obviously I was destined to be a race car driver because it's from the time I was born, you're 16 years older than me. And that's all we, the family did. We would fry up chicken and go to the races. <laughs> and it was, it was awesome. And it was the best life ever. But between, between, I tell people this all the time. You, you, you started me dreaming. You said I, you made me want to do just what you were doing, but I didn't know everything you were going through oh, man. and all the hurdles you had to clear. You know, a kid doesn't know all that. He right. just knows his big brother's racing cars and winning trophies and moving to Nashville and 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 well, first of all, getting impressing PB Crow. Who would you liken PB Crow to today? Like. If he wasn't like he was one of the big late model owners around. Oh yeah, well, and, I mean he would be like Rick Hendrick. Or yeah, that's like, what I was thinking. Like, like Joe Gibbs or somebody, somebody of that stature, you know, because he had he, listen, he was a multi-car team owner in the 70s. Yes. He had 47, 48, and 49, and some weekends he would run 47 and 48, and every now and then if somebody a guest kind of superstar choice, he'd run the 49 car. They'd run them at fairgrounds. So he was a multi-car team owner back in the day, but. Yeah, I, uh, getting married uh, was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yes. Because, I, I, I mean, I was all over the place. I, I, I wasn't focused. But once I got married and I had a wife and I got to provide for her and I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my, my life, my career. Uh, and then PB gives me that opportunity to come down here and drive. The first time I came to Nashville, I won. And I didn't even know what I was doing. Right. But that's how good the cars were. And I, I always think back to how fortunate I was because I got to drive some pretty darn good cars. The reason I was, I think, as successful in Cup as I was with Jake Elder because Jake had been a crew chief for David Pearson. And, and Jake, Jake, when you got in a car that, that Jake had been working on, it drove right. It may not be the fastest thing there, but when you turn left, it turned left. And when you, it, it did everything it was supposed to do. And, and, and Jake always told me, he said, once you get that feel, of what a car is supposed to feel like, you won't quit working on it until you get it. And he was right. I mean, I'd work hamming and those guys to death right. to get that car feeling like it's supposed to. Well, how did you transition from PB Crow, uh, Franklin, Tennessee, Nashville guy? 
How did you transition from, from him giving you that opportunity, winning the first race you were in, and winding up with Jake? Because Jake, Jake took you places. Oh, man. I, well, first of all, uh, we were at a cocktail party, and uh, Bill Elmer, who was the chairman of the board of Texas Gas. Texas Gas was this, like in Owensboro, that was the, uh, that's where everybody went for charity, for anything in the community. They went to Texas Gas because they supported everything. And my father-in-law was president. So Bill Elmer's chairman of the board, Frank's the president. You married we good. Oh, I did. I, <laughs> way, way better, better than I ever deserved. And it took me a while to realize that. But we, uh, we were at a cocktail party, and they were christening the Frank Raider. It was a barge because they owned commercial carriers, the, one, the, the big brown trucks, and they were in terminal transport. Those were the trucks that carried the cars out of Detroit on the big car haulers, and then terminal transport, a trucking company. So they owned other transportation uh, uh, venues. So um, we were at a cocktail party, and they were christening the Frank Raider. And Bill Elmer and Mr. Raider, they were huge race fans. They had, been, they had worked in the pits at Indy, volunteered. And they'd been to the, their Unical people would invite them to Daytona every year. So they kind of knew a little bit about the sport. And of course, there may have been a few adult beverages involved, but Mr. Elmer says to Frank, he says, hey, uh, Frank, what it would it take to get this son-in-law and you in a car at Daytona? And Frank looked at me and I looked at him and he said, what would it take? I said, I don't know, but I'll find out. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll find out Monday. Well, Slick Owens worked at what, what, Moody. Help me, what year was this, 73? 72? Two, 72. Yeah, 72. Yeah. So Slick Owens worked at Holman Moody. Ed Sanders and he were really good friends. Ed, Ed Sanders, a mechanic in Owensboro. Oh, yeah, in Owensboro. You know, a buddy of mine who worked on all the cars I drove. So this story's crazy. How does, that, how does someone in Owensboro, Kentucky, have a connection down to, down to NASCAR, down to Charlotte? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I totally don't know. It, 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 it's, it's a, it's a, it's a never-ending story. Yes. I mean, I could sit here from now until dark and tell you this guy and that guy and this situation and that situation. I was just, I always felt like I was in the right place at the right time. But, and let me ask you this, um, 72, 71 or 72, standing yeah. at a cocktail party yeah. with a couple of executives. Yeah. Uh, you've always been known to have the gift of gab. You've been able yeah. to tell your story well and, yeah. and have made a great living after driving a car because you're so articulate and so witty and just understand things. You, you, you got that from daddy. I know exactly where it came from because nobody was wittier or, or more uh, personable than our dad. Oh, no, he's but, great. But, like, that's interesting that you were mature enough to impress the CEO uh, in, in him wanting to put you in a car. Yeah. You must have had your stuff together. You probably dressed nice. I know when you came to NASCAR, you dressed different than those cats. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you probably had it all together then, right? I, you know, Michael, it's funny because I always felt like I, I marched to the beat of a different drum. Uh, I looked at, and, and no disrespect to anybody that I ever was competed against or no, you know, I looked at Richard Petty and he had that cowboy hat and a sunglass and a belt buckle and the cowboy boots. I said, I ain't going to work for D-Dub. I'm going to go with the button-down collar and the slacks and a pair of loafers. I'm going to look a little different. And, and I tell you, a, a guy that sort of, maybe I tailored my career a little bit after was Fireball Roberts. Fireball Roberts was that way. He's very articulate. And uh, he was meticulous about the way he looked and the way he addressed, and and always thought about how how different he was than some of the other drivers. So I wanted to be different. I wanted to be different than the other guys because when you when you've been in 
the, when you went and raced at the fairgrounds, and the fairgrounds was a big deal. They had two cup races, and they raced every Saturday night there, and people would come there, and they'd say, if you can win here, you can win anywhere. So I, my confidence was sky high, and, and I just knew that if, if I could parlay that into something that, that maybe I that maybe maybe I could actually make it. I I didn't want to be like the other guys. What would making it have meant me? yeah. to to you back then? Like what like I when I I came along late enough. You you know you were winning championships and and driving nice cars yeah. and winning winning races. I wanted to be like you because of that. How how did what did you aspire to? Yeah. How, how did you say I'm gonna? What was making it mean? What would that meant to you? Yeah, fear. Uh, you know, fear of failure. Yeah, I'm afraid I'd fail. Uh, I, I I never felt like I was I was not a great athlete. Uh, you know, I could play basketball. I was pretty good track. Pretty good in track, but football, basketball, the ball sports, the hand and eye things, where you had to be coordinated. I just wasn't that. I was okay, but I wasn't great. And when I got into racing, there was something. There's something about. I'm I'm a big coward. I don't like to ski. I'm afraid I'll fall and I'll hurt myself. Uh, I, there's so many things I'm afraid of, but when I got in that car and I put that seatbelt on and I put that helmet on, I, I turned. I, it was a, I was a different person. I was not the DW that you would see outside the car. When I got in that car, I turned into a different person, and 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 I was always afraid of failure. I think I did things that I wouldn't normally do because I didn't want to. I was afraid I'd fail, and so that motivated me. It, fear is a Fear is kind of a funny thing, I think. It can hinder you, can hold you back, or it can it can motivate you and, and push you forward. And so I was always afraid that I wasn't gonna be good enough. I tell you when I really probably dawned on me as much as anyone, Junior Johnson asked me to drive for him. There's a lot of people I'd driven for up to that point, myself, Bill Gardner, Digard, and some other people. But we're talking Junior Johnson. And when Junior Johnson wanted me to drive for him, my first thought was, I can't do that. I'm not that good. I mean, I'm good, but I'm not that good. <laughs> Kill Yarbrough just won three consecutive championships. How am I going to follow up on that? But I did, and, and, and it was the best thing I ever did in my whole life. And those six years I had at juniors defined my career. Mm -hmm. But I, every time I got in that car, I was so afraid that I wasn't going to do good. And I did not want to point, disappoint Junior Johnson. He was a, listen, you don't know this. I had that little yellow transistor radio with a coat hanger, and I would listen to races on WSM from Nashville. When I could get it turned just right, I could hear them talk about, for one thing, Junior Johnson and that 427 Chevrolet mystery engine. Yeah. Now, you know, Junior Johnson, moonshine runner, been to prison, last American hero, driving the white number three car with a 427 Chevrolet mystery engine. That's hero material right there. With Holly Farms chicken huge, on the side of it. Huge, huge, huge fan of juniors. Yeah, and, and so let me ask you this. Who's the first person you beat at, at Ellis Speedway or Whitesville when you said, I just beat the track guy? Yeah. I, you know, when was the first time that happened to you in a car and you're like, holy cow, look at that? I mean, I might not be the best, but I was pretty good tonight. Yeah, Gene Payne was good yeah. in Owensboro, uh, uh, Stokey Hamilton. Uh, was really good. Stokey Hamburg. Uh, was it Hamburg? No, there was, yeah, Hamburg, Stokey Hamburg, you're right. Stokey Hamburg, I remember that name. Yeah, and uh, and, and there were some other guys. I, 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 man, you're, you're pushing me way back now, but just that I was, that I could take, I could take a car 
that most people would say is not as good as theirs and beat them with it. Yeah. And, 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 and so all those things build up your confidence. Uh, you know, if you fail miserably, then you, you, you don't get another opportunity. And I was able to do things with less. I think I got more out of less than anybody when I was starting out. And people saw the potential that I had. I mean, when I drove my cup car, I didn't have a, I didn't have a lot of money and I didn't have the best car. But man, I was up there racing with the stars. Right. I was up there racing with Richard and David and Kale and Buddy and Bobby and all of them until I blew up or something happened. Yeah. But I think to, I just people always saw a lot of potential in me more than I saw in myself. Did back in the seventies? Did you ever get that finger from oh, Richard man. Petty to oh, come in your window? That is the longest <laughs> index finger. E.T. You know the movie E.T. Yes, e. yes. That's where they got that finger from. Yeah. I got a, I got I got bruises still from, from when he would poke me in the chest. Yeah. And 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 you know at first it was kind of intimidating, and then it was kind of irritating, but when you get older and you look back, you think he was just trying to help me. Yeah. I think about Dale. Dale was the most aggravating person I've ever been around, but he was just trying to help you. I think. Here's what you need to do. Well, why are you telling me what I need to do? And Richard was that way. He would come and poke, poke that finger in my chest and say, you can't do that. That's not the way you do it. One of the things Richard Petty said to me that resonated with me for a long time. First of all, he said, respect begets respect. I didn't know what that meant, but I found out. And the second thing he said, I don't know how he keeps a sponsor. Now, you know, in our sport, when somebody says, you don't, I don't know how you keep a sponsor. That's a wake-up call. Yes. And, uh, and, and so I took those things. They aggravated me at the time, and I resented it. But as I got older and I looked back, they were right. They were every, everything that Richard Petty or David Pearson or Bobby Allison ever told me, they were right. They were, they were right on. What about, what is your first memory of, of, of mixing it up with the King? Because I think of that Darlington race where uh -huh. y'all swap the lead and 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 one of my favorite races I, if i were you i'd want to watch that every day one of my favorite races because to be the man you got to beat the man yeah and richard petty oh when i came in the sport i'm just with the king you know what do you mean he's the king <laughs> king richard petty what has he ever done because you don't really you don't put it in perspective but then as time goes by and he's the guy you got to beat almost every week. You kind of realize, okay, well, he's pretty good. Maybe, maybe that's how he got to be the king. But that race, it was one of my favorite races because we passed each other last 10 laps. I'm going to say we passed each other eight or 10 times. Yeah. Never laid a fender on each other at Darlington. High, low, inside, outside, straight away. But that last lap, and, I'm, and I, 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 it's like I, I can live it every day. I'm coming. I'm going into turn one. I know he's going to get under me getting off two because I just couldn't get off two. He got under me off two. We're going down the back straightaway, side by side. You cannot go in the outside into turn three, turn one now. You can't do that. So I knew that because I learned that the hard way. So we're going down the back, and I said, I got to hold him. I got to hold him. I got to make him overdrive the corner. Because I, I mean, you're going fast, but sometimes you have time to think about what you want to do. And I'm saying, i got to make him go in that corner too hard, too hard. Sure enough, we get down there, and he goes in a little too hard. And I hit the brake, and he goes up the hill, and I shoot under him and pass him on a, on a slingshot move. 
in turns three and four at Darlington. That's beautiful. And it was it was like we never touched each other. But you know what was funny as I looked at that? I didn't realize how close Donnie Allison was. Yeah. Because Donnie was right there too. He could have possibly won that race as well. So, uh, but but that was one of my favorite races uh, early on. Yeah, that, there's no doubt it's it's one of my favorites to watch. And and uh, who's who's up in the booth? Jackie Stewart's up there. He might have been. Oh and no, it, you know who else was Chris Economaki. Yeah, Chris Economaki. Oh, yeah. No. Wow, wow, now. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a, a, a beautiful race, and that had to. You raced Richard for that championship. How how thankful are you as you look back on this storied career that? You got to go head to head with the king for yeah. one of for that championship. Well, Pete, you hear things all through this, all through your career. Uh, people say you have to lose one to win one, and a lot of people today that that's ah, bull. I don't believe all that. That's 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 old school. But that was a fact. I, I, I the valuable lesson I learned from '79 was don't beat yourself, and I use that even in in the booth. Up, up until I'm not in the booth anymore. I said, if I were some of these guys, that's what I would put on my dash. Don't beat yourself. Right. Because that's what I did. I, I, I got, I had a big point lead. I'm finally accomplishing something that I wanted. I was beating the king. I was better than the king. I won seven races. I was just, everything was going so well. And I got overconfident. It started at Darlington in 79. Yeah, you, just, you spun out, right? I know. I was leading the race by a lap. I just passed David Pearson. I think he was, I think he was driving Dale's car. Or, no, he was driving the one or, I think he was driving the one car for Donnie. Haas, I don't, anyway. For Haas. I think he was driving Haas. Yeah, Haas I think you're car. right. I had just lapped the second place car, David Pearson. And Buddy Parrott and David if are raising hell on the radio. You've got to slow down. Me and my brilliance, leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. And about five laps later, I'm in the wall. I went on the outside into turn one, passing Buddy Arrington. Buddy slid me up the hill just a little bit. I got in the loose stuff, smacked the wall. And it was a, it wasn't a Bar Darlington stripe. It was oh, a wreck, no, right? It got, it got loose and then snapped and hit the wall. Bad enough. Slid down the bottom of the track, cranked up, got going. I'm still on the lead lap because I had a lap lead wrecked again because the car was damaged. Yeah, you couldn't, couldn't drive it. Couldn't drive it after that. So I learned a valuable lesson that year. Uh, at Wilkesboro, uh, Bobby Allison and I got together, put me in the wall and knocked me out of the race. Just so many things happened that were my fault. I can You can look back and you can always blame people for what happened, but there's a common denominator in all those things, <laughs> and it's you. <laughs> and so I learned some valuable lessons. You know, it's, it's interesting what you learned in 79, and then the timing of things. You're, you're battling with the king, and you're battling with David Pearson. Yeah. Legends of the sport, Hall of Famers. And there's some kid shows up, not a kid, he's, he's a rough-looking cat with a mustache. Oh, man. In 1980... He comes to, to Cup, uh, he had won as a rookie in 79, he wins the damn championship. I know it. What, what was that like for you, yeah. you know, being semi-established or battling your way to the respect that you were yeah. wanting out of the king? Yeah. And then Dale comes in and, and, and rips off a championship. Yeah, well, the first thing you think is lucky. You know, as well, he's just lucky. He was in the right, pla in the right place at the right time for a change. Uh, I was leaving Dygard and going to drive for Junior. Cale had 
was leaving junior. So there was a lot of things happening in the sport that always felt like made it possible for Dale to, to win that championship. Never gave him – the hardest thing to do is give a competitor credit, credit for being really good. I knew he was pretty good. I'd met Dale. Uh, Robert G. was his father-in-law, and he, Brenda was his wife. And I knew Kelly and Dale Jr. when they were little little kids. And So I, I'd known Dale. I'll never forget Dale come to me, and this was early on before he even got a cup ride. And he said, "I'm never going to be any. I'm never going to make it if I don't get all these dirt tracks." Because he were at Gaffney and Concord and all those little race Metrolina. Metrolina, all those little race tracks around there. That's where he raced. He said, "I got to get off these dirt tracks." And uh, I said, "Well, buddy, you got to. You just got to work hard. You know, you got to make some sacrifices. You know, I made some damn sacrifices. I don't need to make any more. I need to get need something good to happen to me." So then Rod Austin comes along and. And him and Doug Richard and Lou LaRosa and that whole crowd, and they, they throw a car together and win the championship. But Dale was, Dale was exceptional. There's no question. You can talk about who's the greatest driver of all time. Well, it depends on what area you're talking about and blah, blah, blah. But Dale was exceptional, and uh, it took me a while to accept that. You know, you like to think he was lucky or, you know, in the car is better or whatever. but. He was just good. Yeah, and and y'all had y'all had your he won it in '80, and then you got on the roll at juniors and won three in a row. Yeah. Uh, but y'all's pass, y'all had some rough times together you know what, racing. He, you'll love this. So I'm racing out of Robert G's shop. That's his father-in-law. That's his father-in-law. Right. And Dale's in and out of there all the time, and uh, Herb Nab, who was crew chief on the 11 car, Junior Johnson had had a special gear made for Wilkesboro, a 550. Now you could have a 543 or you Five. could have a 67, yeah. but there was nothing in the middle. So a 43 wasn't enough, a 67 was too much. Herb and Jake were playing cards and Herb blurred out something about, yeah, we got your butt, we, you, we got you, we got it, ain't got nobody got the gear like we got. And they got in an argument about it and somehow or another, Jake ended up making a deal with Herb for us to get one of those gears. He had, Junior had three of them, three set, three gears, and we got one of them. So we ran it at Wilkesboro. I sat on the pole. I never led an inch, but I sat on the pole. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so we go to the shop, and we get ready to go back to Wilkesboro, and we look for the gear, and we can't find it. I said, Robert, you know anything about my gear? Uh, I think I know where it's at. I said, you do? Where is it? Dale's got it. Dale's got my gear. Why does Dale have my gear? Well, he was going somewhere and he needed that gear and so I let him have it. And I went off. I mean, I blew up. And that was the beginning of the end of mine and Dale's, of, of really of us, I won't say us being buddies, because we're always buddies. We're, but friend, were, we're frenemies. He liked me sometime, I liked him sometime, but we didn't like each other all the time. But that gear, that one thing, I told that Robert, I said, Robert, don't ever loan him anything of mine again. If you do, I'm out of here. And, and, and of course, poor old Robert, he said, what's my son-in-law? If he comes over here and needs something, I'm gonna let him have it. Right. So I ended up moving out of Robert's and going up to uh, the Goodyear building and rented a place up at the Goodyear building and moved all my stuff out of Robert's. Wow. Over a gear. And, but that, that drove a, 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 a divider between y'all oh, too. Yeah, I, there was a while when I know I know that he didn't like you too much and you didn't like him too much. No, we said, I would say bad things. I would say things that I, I wish I hadn't said about him. 
at the time, it seemed appropriate. It seemed okay. But looking back, it was kind of rude and insensitive. A lot of things. I, uh, a good example, there was something in the paper, and I said, well, we don't have to worry about that because he can't read. And that was bad. I shouldn't have said that. That was dumb. But that's kind of how we were. You know, we got after each other. Yeah, we weren't so politically correct back in the day. No, and, and the only way they knew is they read in the papers. And so it wasn't TV, radio, right. podcasts, all these things people do today. But anyway, we had a tumultuous relationship. And we did all up until you got involved, and you and Dale <laughs> became great friends. And when Dale Earnhardt called me and wanted me to drive his car, I thought there was something wrong with my telephone. I said, you got, this can't, you know when people say, I hung up because I didn't think it was him? Yeah. Well, I would have almost hung up because I didn't think it was him. But Before we get to that about, I want to talk about that. Yeah. But that 86 crash yeah. at Richmond. Yeah. Starting the year off, you know, yeah. you'd, you'd won the championship in 85. Right. Uh, right. You, you. He and you both proved that day in Richmond you're going to be yeah. the ones to beat all year long. Right. And you you put a great move on him. I did. And do you think he, I think he thought he could shoot under you and just hooked you. Yeah. Did you think that he just hooked you or did you, what did you think then? Well, a number, a couple of things. Uh, Junior was on the radio wearing my, he wearing my butt out. Pass him now, pass him, pass him, pass him. Finally, Junior came on the radio and said, Daryl, I said, pass that SOB now. So I go in the first turn, I go in the grass, and I get in the grass. <laughs> you, I'm kind you, of, you can't tell Junior, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah, right, I ain't tell Junior nothing. I tried that. And I kind of bounced up a hill a little bit and got into Dale a little bit and got him a little loose. And I'm up alongside him. I said, ha, ha, boy, Junior, going to be proud of me now. And I'm going down the back straightaway. And look, if I had it to do over again, I'd have just kept him there. Yes, everybody says that. I just kept him outside of me. Why did I have to get ahead of him? But I was going to just drive off and leave him because yeah. I just felt like I could. But anyway, Maybe he was going to try to dive in behind me, and he just mistimed it. He was pretty good at not doing things like that. Usually thinking if something happened, it was usually because he intended for it to. Anyway, Junior Johnson, was he wanted to hire Dale. Junior loved the way Dale raced. Oh, yeah. See, Junior wanted you to be aggressive, but he wanted you to be fair. And when, when, Dale, when Dale came over to Junior and told Junior he didn't mean to do that, Junior was, I mean, he said, boy, get out of my face. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I mean, that really was the, the beginning and the end for Junior and Dale. So it was a bad deal. You know, it shouldn't have happened. And it just was another one of those episodes in the Walter Bernhardt feud that we had all the way up till the day I started driving for him, I guess. Yeah, the, 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 there are so many beautiful moments, uh, memories for me doing the documentary. Yeah. You know. Shit, I didn't know. Yeah, for sure. And and one of the one of the funny things I didn't never notice, and I've watched that replay from '86 at Richmond with you and Dale a hundred times when they went into interviewing. You know, and, and Richard Childress pointed it out. He said, "I don't think they was going to find us." And then they went in to interview Daryl Dale, and Dale said, "You know, me and Daryl's got to race together for a long time. Ain't nothing to it." Yeah. And his mustache kind of curled up, and he, <laughs> yeah, right. he, he smiled yeah, over. Yeah, knew that knew that wasn't the truth. Yeah. Didn't, didn't feel good. That 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 yeah. moment and seeing his face and Richard having those memories. Yeah, uh, it brought it brought back a lot of uh, a lot of emotion. Well, in '95, I, I finally, you know, I started my own team. 
that was that was a dream of mine. I I I, I started on my own. I had my own car. I would first race everyone was in my own car, and I always had this vision of someday getting back to owning my own car. So in '91, when I started my team with Western Auto. Uh, and, and I had some pretty good success, two wins the first year, top ten, three wins the second year. Really, things were going pretty good. Struggled a little bit with the engine program, finally got it going good in 95 and was really in the top ten in points, almost won Dalladega, almost won Martinsville. But the one thing that, that the all-star race oh, yeah. was, was a terrible deal because Gordon's on the pole and I'm on the outside pole and Dale's third. And, I got this. If I can just get in front, I got this. And I jumped to start just a teeny weeny bit. It may be the only time you think about it. It's the only time I can remember they ever waved off a start and did it over. The most next year they did too. The most time they'll put you in the back or <laughs> whatever. But anyway, so this time I got to be real careful. I got to come off and get, you know, even with Gordon. And we do. We go off turn two, off turn one down to back. and. I'm going down the back and I'm just inching ahead of Gordon and I see out the corner of my eye sparks flying. So what the hell is that over there? <laughs> oh crap, it's Earnhardt. He had that damn silver car. They talk about silver car all the time. Oh, big secret, nobody knew anything about it. Whatever happened to it? Because I know what happened to it that night. Yeah. So we go down in the corner and here comes Dale. Wah, ba -da -ba -ba -da -ba bottoming out, sparks flying, go in the corner, up the hill, putting, puts us both in the wall and wrecks us. Hurt me. Yeah. I mean, I was hurt. Right. I thought I, was, I, I knocked a breath out. I couldn't speak. Broke three ribs. I was screwed up. Anyway, Wednesday, we get to the track, and I go find Dale. I said, I just want to know what the hell were you thinking? What are you talking about? I said, why did you, why did you do that? He said, did you, did you learn anything? I'm getting, I mean, I'm, if I could, I'd have hit him right there. <laughs> I said, what was I supposed to learn? Don't ever pass me on the outside. <laughs> And walked away. That was that was the end of that conversation. You know, it, it'd be nice if you could beat him up, but you couldn't. Oh no, I couldn't even swing. <laughs> I couldn't even put my car in reverse, let alone take a pop at him. But anyway, the, the thing I loved about him is, and then I still love about him is he never, very seldom did he deny anything. Yeah. Very seldom it was like you know just like he said about me. Well, we got to race together a long time. Yeah. Or, you know, well, you know, he cut me off and I had to hit him or whatever. He never made excuses. He told me he thought you'd lift. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have. I thought I could make it. Yeah. I went in that corner way over my head. <laughs> so, 98, um, your team, you've had some success. You've won races, but sponsorship issues and things, right. things uh, the Tabasco fiasco, yeah. all the things you went through. Trying to be an owner and a, and a driver, we know how challenging it is. Yeah. Um, where were you with your mentality going into that '98 season? Well, I don't know. I, I, I've told I, I tell these stories so many times. Sometimes I wonder if people have heard them or not. I, I, but anyway, '98. I, you know what's interesting? That's why I love doing this because I, I don't know if I've heard them either or not. But I sure do like hearing them again. Yeah. <laughs> so in '98, I had to sell my team. I sold to Tim Beverly, and. Uh, the deal was Beverly bought the team. It was in uh, May, I think it was, April or May, somewhere along in there, and um, and he was and I was the part of the deal was I would continue to drive the car the rest of that year. So Beverly buys the team and uh, uh, he calls me like on a Monday and says, "Got a problem?" He says, "I'm going to have to shut this thing down for a while." I said, "What?" He said, "I'll pay you." He said, "But." 
the cars are outdated, and they were. I didn't have the money to, that's when the SB2 went from the one, some engine we had, yeah. it became obsolete because they came to a, a Chevrolet had a new engine. I hadn't made that transition yet. So he was right. He said, I'm gonna shut her down. He said, but I'll pay you. Uh, but uh, if you want to find something else to do, fine. If you don't, just just uh, wait it out. Yeah. It's all I, right. I'll tell you the great thing. So I, I know they haven't heard this story because I don't think I've told it publicly very maybe ever. But I was, I was at home in Cheryl's Ford, and it was Monday or Tuesday, and Park had gotten hurt. Yeah. That happened in Atlanta, right? Yeah, at Atlanta. When he clobbered that yeah. pit wall. Yeah, remember Dale put, he put Ron Hornaday in the car. Hornaday wrecked the car. He put somebody else in the car. Right. He, he, he'd run like two or three races with other guys, and nobody, they weren't doing any good. They were putting him in a hole. So I woke up one morning in Cheryl's Ford, and Buffy was there, and I said, Buffy, I think I, think I should call Daryl and tell him to call Dale and tell him that Dale wants to talk to him about driving his car. But then I gotta call Dale and tell Dale that Daryl wants to talk to him. I gotta make them both think it's the other guy's, the guy's idea. idea yeah. like, so I, I, had a, I had this plan in my mind and so I call up Dale and talk to him and then I call you up and like that was one of the coolest things I've ever done because it was a perfect relationship for, yeah. for you guys at that it point was. in your life. It was. You know, there was, there was some rough roads behind you, but it, it, it gave you a chance, so much respect. We mended a lot of bridges. And it gave you the chance to, to, to put all that behind you. Yeah. And well, the funniest thing was when you called me, I don't know if you remember or not, you called me and said, if Dale called you and asked you would drive his car, well, I said, hell, I ain't driving his car. <laughs> and then we talked. That's what I told you. There was a lot. I remember I had to do a lot of work. Yeah. And then we talked about it and said, well, first of all, he's probably not going to call me. He said, well, if he did call you, would you talk to him? I said, sure. Well, it wasn't very long that he called. And I think what, I think no matter what happened between Dale and I, we had a lot of respect for each other. He knew I, he knew I could drive and I knew he was I knew he could drive, and so we had a lot of mutual respect for each other. I think what really made that work was because I'd had my own team, and I'd been through that ups and downs of, you know, trying to keep a sponsor and building cars and people, and I mean, all you're running is an adult daycare center. That's basically what it is, because every morning it's kind of see you a minute. Right. But anyway, uh, Philippe Lopez and uh, and a, a few of the guys Dave were Charpentier, there. right? Was he your engineer? I think he was an engineer, and uh, Derek Finley, Finley was an engineer right out of college. I'll never forget Dale said, just work with him. He doesn't know what he's doing, but just see if you can help him. And and so we went through a, a little bit of a, a transition there to where they got used to me and I got used to them. And then I'm going to tell you, and, and, and Dale would, I think Dale and, and Ty Norris both would have agreed if I could have stayed there, we'd have won races. We were just getting that car and that communication down to where we would have won races. I almost won Darlington. Or, uh, California, I almost won Pocono. Yeah. I mean, the quit. The, the, Dale was like me. He knew what it took to win. He had to have the motors. He had a great engine shop. He had to have the cars. He had to have the people. And Dale knew all those things. And, and by the time I left there, we had it all. Yeah. And uh, I was, but that, it helped me in a lot of ways. It helped me with Dale, which, you know, we had a tumultuous relationship. And we had a chance to mend a lot of fences and, 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 and bridges. Uh, and he treated me better than anybody ever treated me. 
He paid me. Yeah. He paid me a lot more than I deserved, but he knew I needed it because I'd had that team and I spent a lot of money and he believed in me. And you know, like I know, you cannot survive on a team if the team doesn't believe in you. Right. If they don't think you're the best driver out there, if they don't think you can get more out of that car than anybody else, you're not going to make it. And so those guys believed in me and we were really clicking. And uh, it was hard to walk away from that deal. But but I, again, Dale told Park, when you get well and you want back in the car, it's your car. It's your car. So I've been down that, listen, I've been down that road in 90 when I got hurt. In 90 when I got hurt in a Tide car at Daytona, uh, Carolyn Rudd wanted her brother Ricky Rudd in the car. And she was trying everything she could to get me out of that car and put Ricky in it. And Rick Hendrick said, that's DW's car. When he gets well, he gets back in the car. Mm -hmm. And so you don't get situations like that every day. Yeah. And that was that was the thing about uh, I, I appreciate about Dale. He told Park, it's your car. When you get well and you want to drive it, it's there for you. I told you. I knew it. You can't get ODW telling stories without him telling you all of his stories. We're only halfway through my set down with my big brother. Be sure to check us out next week when you can hear part two and a little golf challenge that comes up as well. Please tell your friends about Walter Unfiltered and have them sign up via their favorite podcast app. You can also go to the Sports Fox Sports YouTube page and check out content there and watch for Twitter and Reddit questions. Just hashtag Ask Mikey and we'll be sure to get your questions on. So until next week, have a good one.